Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Good morning. This is our last week in Jonah. Next week, we're going to start the book of Ephesians, and we're going to give you all a book again, like we did in the book of Nehemiah, where you can take notes. So plan to come next week and get that book, and then use it as a spiritual journal. Uh, so you can look back years from now on your study of Ephesians and see not only what the Lord was teaching in that book in general, but specifically to you. So that's next uh, Sunday. If you're online watching us, welcome today. We're grateful that you're online, and uh, we trust that God is working in your heart. If you want one of those books, we'd love to send it to you. If you would just um, email the office at office at gracewaybc.org, we'll be happy to send you one so that you have it and you can join in the study with us in the book of Ephesians. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and the way that it prompts us in various ways. We need it. We're grateful for it. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, we ask that you would teach us again. We ask that you would straighten us out in ways that were crooked, that you would comfort us where we need comfort today. You would encourage us where we need the encouragement. Lord, you know where each of our, us are at right now in our lives today. And so we're asking that you'd use your words in a powerful way to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah problem number four, deep-seated anger. Now, anger isn't wrong. We see in, in Ephesians chapter four that this is, the command is be angry but do not sin. So we know that anger isn't all about sin. In James, it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, which again reminds us that the problem isn't anger itself. It's usually the things that surround it, that sometimes uh, we can become angry and we hurt people or we damage property or something like that, and that's when it becomes a problem. Or it starts to be, as I see in Jonah's heart, in his life, a deep-seated anger that must be addressed. And it's to that end that we want to evaluate ourselves and, and we want to... Um, understand this passage because the passage could have ended in Jonah chapter 3. Great way to end the book, in my opinion. Jonah preached, the people repented, and God relented, and that's it. What a great message of redemption. Then comes Jonah chapter 4, which is a little bit odd. I, mean, I have to do some extra work this week to try to figure out Jonah and what's going on because I believe God wants Jonah chapter 4 in this book for a reason, that we'll be able to look at ourselves and kind of see what God is doing with Jonah and evaluate our own hearts. I think that Jonah has some significant issues in his life. And I think God is functioning as the loving heavenly father or the, the, the great God almighty or the counselor or whatever, coming into Jonah's life to try to change the construct. I want to call that a construct that Jonah has. We all have a construct in our lives, what we believe, what we think, how we behave. We've kind of figured it out for ourselves, and we're living this way. But sometimes we're living in this way, and it creates problems for us, and that's what's taking place in Jonah's life. We're going to look at his construct, and we're going to look how God tries to change it. 
And I think we'll find some fascinating things as we go through this passage. Let's start by reading the passage. If you'd stand with me while I read God's Word. I've kept the, um, these words in yellow that we started last week because I want to talk about them first, and I want you to be reminded about God's profile, that He describes Himself this way. But let me um, read the whole chapter here. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a day. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? That's the end of the book. It's kind of a strange ending. But I think there's some reason for that, and we're going to look at it. You may be seated, because I think Jonah is a book that holds a mirror up to us so that we can evaluate our own hearts, so that we can look at our own challenges that we face in our lives. And we're going to take a look at that, uh, and we're going to look at Jonah and the kind of construct he's developed for himself and how God then challenges him. But I want to first look at this profile of God, because we looked at the first two words last week, and I just want to finish this out, because you're going to see this over and over again in the Bible, and you want to be reminded of what this looks like. The first word is that he's gracious. This is the word grace. This is God gives us what we don't deserve, that he chooses to use us in his kingdom plan like he did Jonah, that when we get off track, he doesn't just care about the masses. He cares about us as individuals. That's God's grace. That he's willing to take us on the detour and to, to work in our own hearts. It's the second chances that he gives to someone like Jonah, but also to the Ninevites. That's the gracious hand of God working in Jonah's life. And we see that God is gracious. We also see that he's merciful. This is the word that we saw as compassion. We see it uh, demonstrated in Jesus Christ himself as he's ministering to people with compassion and teaches us that we need to have compassion with others. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan that we looked at last week, the very important part of our lives, that if we, I think, if we're exercising compassion, it's going to change the construct that we might have that might be going in a, a dangerous direction. Now we come to the word slow to anger, slow to anger. Now, that's important because there's a tendency we have, I think, to think about the God of the Old Testament as angry, 
justice, holiness of God. And those things are very true about God. They're also seen in the New Testament, though. But some people overemphasize them in the Old Testament, and they miss this profile of God that's mentioned over and over again, that God is slow to anger. Wow, what an interesting statement. I think the reason we have grace emphasized so much in the New Testament is because between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have the cross of Christ, which brings together the compassion of God with the wrath and justice and holiness of God. And it comes together in the cross, and we go, yes, we are so grateful for that. So we talk a lot about the grace, and we see the, the writers talking a lot about that. But God's wrath and holiness and justice is very prevalent, and we need to be aware of that and understand it. But we also need to recognize in this passage that God is slow to anger. In fact, we see that mentioned several times. In Numbers, there's this discussion between Moses and God about what are we going to do with these people? <laughs> and uh, the words then are, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Those are the two words we're looking at in uh, Jonah. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. The Lord is slow to anger. This is an interesting use of the term in slow to anger people. This time, though, as Nahum is writing and he's prophesying about them, they are not going to repent and they're going to be destroyed. Babylon's going to come over and take them over. So this is really Nahum's prophesying the same kind of thing, but as he opens his book, he says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet." God is slow to anger. That doesn't mean he doesn't, uh, he's not righteous. It doesn't mean he isn't just. He doesn't clear the guilty, but he's slow to anger. It's important for us to realize that because when we then take the word slow to anger and see them used in the Bible, we're going to see our words for us as well. And this can be convicting for us, especially if our construct that we have has a lot of anger in it. The way we live life has a lot of anger built in, and we find ourselves being angry or critical or negative a lot. Then we're really going to need the verses that God talks about, about being slow to anger. So let's look at just a few of them. He says in Proverbs chapter 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. The idea here is that if you understand more about life, about people, you're not going to be quick to be angry. And, and it says then, he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So the person who's angry a lot, that's a foolish person who's just exhibiting their anger continually. That's what Proverbs is saying. It also says a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. It's not just about the, the personal stuff inside of us that makes us a kind of an ugly person if we emphasize anger too much in our lives. If we become a, have this angry construct, we become miserable with ourselves. I think the greatest punishment for an angry person is they have to live with themselves. But it also creates contention with other people. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. There's always something wrong, and, and the person who is angry is, is stirring up this contention. I, I'm sure you are already thinking about people you know that are like this. In Proverbs 16, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, it's an important verse because some people believe that anger is a sign of strength. I tell people what they need to hear. I tell people what's on my mind. Everybody knows what's on my mind, as if that's a sign of strength. It isn't a sign of strength. The person who's slow to anger is the one who is strong. The person who can take truth and wrap it in love is the one who's wise and strong. 
If we go on, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You don't have to point out every time that you see something wrong in life. See, angry people often say, well, this is a righteous anger. And why do they do that? Because they see wrong things. They're right. Angry people, most angry people are right. Somebody else is wrong, and that's why they're angry. But he's saying good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. You don't have to point out every time something's doing, somebody's doing something wrong. Know this, my beloved brothers, and this is our verse in James chapter 1. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So do you see the word slow to anger are repeated often? And I think that if Jonah would learn this or practice this, good things could happen in his life. Slow to anger, a very important concept. And then if we go back to our passage, this steadfast love is our word hesed. And I, again, write it down. It's C-H-E-S-E-D. You'll see it over and over in the Bible. This is the this is the, I just picture this falling back. You know, when you fall back, you kind of lose control. But you fall back into the hesed of God, his steadfast love. Or another analogy I like is you walk into a room and see all this luxury. You go, whoa, this is so great. This is mine? Yes, this is the hesed, the uh, steadfast love of God, sometimes translated loving kindness. But it's just such a beautiful word. And it's on this basis that we have this profile of God, that we enter into this chapter 4 and we see who God is. We see what his profile looks like because he's being described here. He's going to be the counselor in the passage, and we're also going to look at Jonah and the challenges that he has as he's approaching this situation. So we get to verse 3, and it says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well to be angry? I spent some time just trying to look at every one of these verses. I'm trying to analyze Jonah. I'm going to ask you to analyze Jonah with me. In fact, I found 10 things, and I wrote the verses next to him. I'm going to show them to you in the next slide. But after I did this, and I'm saying, wow, he's, this, he's self-focused. You know, he's got all these things. I wrote them all down. And after I was done, I look at that and I go, whoa, I know some people like that. You, sometimes psychologists call these people narcissistic. Do you know what narcissistic means? Here's a, I remember what narcissistic means by this joke that's told. Okay? How does a narcissist change a light bulb? He holds the light bulb and expects the whole world to revolve around him. That is what a narcissist is. Now, I'm not saying Jonah's a narcissist or he has borderline personality disorder or whatever those things that psychologists come up with. All I'm saying is if the construct isn't addressed in our lives, any of us can find ourselves moving to that construct becoming more more, uh, crusty and more firm and more rigid, and we can end up in a place that's really bad. I know that some of you have been fired by people like this or lost your job because of people like this at work. Some of you have um, been married to people like this, and now you're no longer married. Some of you are still married to a person who's like this. Some of you have children uh, who are like this or parents who are like this. I mean, uh, I think it's interesting to look at other people and see that if the construct and the things they believe are so rigid, then they can get themselves in trouble. So look at this this. Um, these traits of Jonah that uh, I identified. See if you agree with this as you look at the passage, and we're trying to uh, identify the dangerous construct of Jonah. He's self-focused in verse 1. I mean, he's, the guys repent, and then he just focused in on himself. He's prone to anger, obviously. We see that 
uh, in the past. He's quick to criticize God. I knew that they believe they're right, and they often are right. Lord, I knew that this would happen, and Jonah's actually right that God is going to forgive. Believes that others don't listen. Lord, if you would just listen to me. Believes others don't understand. God, you don't understand my situation. He's negative. We're going to see, he says, I'm going to, I'd rather die. He's prone to self-pity and self-harm, we see. And let me just pause here. If the negative construct that you experience in your life gets to the place where you feel like dying is more valuable than living, then your construct is definitely dangerous and you need to get help. You can call the suicide hotline. In fact, you've come to me and say, I think I'm, uh, I'm in danger of, of taking my life. I'm going to send you right to the suicide hotline, who are people who are trained to talk to you about that. You can come back to me. I'll help you develop a godly construct. But knowing how to deal with this is important. Self-harm, which he talks about. He has a victim and entitlement mentality. This is my booth. This is my, my bush that you had, kind of idea that he has. And he can't see his own problem. Wow, that's the most convicting for me because could I have some of these traits and not be able to see my own problem? Because I think that's what happens in a construct. We develop our construct. We start living a particular way as if we know where we are, and if we're not careful, we can, because we can't see the dangerous part of ourselves, we can end up in trouble. We, so we need to be able to deal with that. We need to have... Uh, the ability for God to come in and change the construct so it doesn't get so rigid and firm that it turns into a bad, terribly bad thing. Well, that's Jonah. Well, let's go into the passage and, and let's just talk about and see how God works with Jonah because I think we're going to gain some ideas about how we can work with those kind of people. I like to call them those kind of people because then we turn around and look at ourselves and we go, I'm one of those kind of people. Let's see what God does in the passage. He says, therefore now, O Lord, down in verse 3, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, and he just asks a question. So God's going to take two different approaches to bring about change. Because I believe what God is doing here is God is challenging the construct. If you're working with someone or you have someone in your family that's developed such a construct that's fixed and creating tension and hostility in your home, then you want to challenge the construct. And so God's going to challenge it, and he does it not by lecturing him, but he's going to use two different ways to challenge the construct. One is he's going to ask questions, three different questions he's going to ask. And the other thing he's going to do is give him an experience. Because some people learn from experience, unfortunately, because experience is an unforgiving teacher. It's much better to learn from teaching, which is really learning from other people's experience, instead of having to learn from your own. So he starts by asking this question. Do you do well to be angry? He's challenging the construct that uh, Jonah has here. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Remember, he's got 40 days before God's actually going to take action here. Will God bring down the fireworks from heaven? So he's got a front row seat on the destruction of Nineveh. Although they've rel- God's relented and they've changed and he's mad about that, maybe they'll change back. Maybe they didn't really repent. After all, can't really tell who's repented and who hasn't. Maybe they're just putting on this outward front because they don't want to get themselves killed. And so Jonah's sitting there. He wants to see what is God going to do in this situation. 
Now, the Lord God appointed. Notice the word appointed three times. Appointed. And the reason we want to recognize this point, because God is orchestrating this. God is intentionally doing these things to Jonah because he wants to challenge the construct that Jonah has. Okay, so he, he's going to take him through a high experience. Then he's going to take him through a low experience because it's in the highs and the lows that often we have to think about our construct. So this is a great experience here. So the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And this is really, you saw in the first part of the verse, he was exceedingly displeased, and now he's exceedingly glad. When a person's emotions are tied to experience, they're going to go up all over the place. If they're just focused on themselves, self-focused, then they're going to be looking for pleasure to make them feel better, and they're going to point out bad things in other people's lives. This is a demonstration of this negative construct in his life. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed again a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So God took him on a high point. I, I think what God is doing is trying to help him experience gratefulness in his life. Can, can you experience the gratefulness of the things that God wants to do? He provides all these good things for us. But then he takes us down to the low point sometimes where we get to know God better and we learn how to rely on him. There's things you can learn in the low points that you can't learn on the mountaintops. And so sometimes we experience those low points so that we can get close to the Lord. We can see how weak we are and how much we must rely on Him. God is taking Him through this experience. Will He change is the question. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching, appointed again, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head of Jonah so that he was faint. What is he going to do when he's faint? Is he going to rely on himself, or is he going to turn to the Lord and, and he's going to rely on the Lord? And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. He's just so negative. There's just some people who develop this negative construct in their lives. Everything they turn is negative. And I know that we're going to come to this tenth idea, this, this idea that you can't see it in yourself. But there are symptoms of this. You can see the symptoms. If, you're, if a lot of tension is being created in relationships that you're in, maybe it's you. You've got to think about it. If you spend a lot of time thinking negatively about life, you've got a lot of anger, or, or you find yourself ruminating a problem, maybe we've got to make a change in the construct. Well, we got to think about it here, and that's what's happening to this poor guy. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? It's like God is saying, look, this is just a small thing. It's a plant, for crying out loud. See, the problem with a person who develops an angry construct is that they tend to get angry more often than the situation warrants and more intensely than the situation warrants. And God is saying, it's just a plant. Don't you feel like saying that to some people who get angry? It's just whatever. You fill in the blank. It's just a plant. I think what God is saying to him is, look, don't, get, don't sweat the small stuff is what he's saying. It's just a plant. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's really stuck in this construct. So God is going to now say, you pity the plant. So God wants to, he's first, I think, tried to inject gratitude into his life. Because I think any of us, if we'll start being grateful for what we have, we can move out of this construct that gets us into trouble. And now he's injecting compassion into the construct. Can he change? And so he says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night 
in a night and perished in a night. In other words, God took him through an experience so that he might have some compassion or see the compassion he has for a plant. And then he says this, And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle? 120,000 persons, those would be children who don't know the right from the left and cattle. And he says, shouldn't I have compassion? I mean, you had compassion for a little plant, and that's so meager. Shouldn't I have compassion for this city and the, and the people that are in it? And he leaves it there in the book. I believe intentionally. We don't know how Jonah responded. We don't know if he was able to come out of his construct or not. But he leaves us there because I think this is a mirror that asks us the question in our own lives. Are we willing to be flexible and move out of our construct? Are we so fixed that, that we can't get out of it? And that's how the passage ends. So let's just review some of the things that God has done to try to bring about a change in the construct. As God, as the counselor, comes in, he says, he, he's challenging the construct. I think that's what he's doing in these verses. He's trying to get him to practice gratefulness because if you're in this cyclone, and I, this is how I describe it sometimes when I'm working with parents of teenagers or parents of children who seem to be caught in this negative uh, ruminating. It's like a cyclone that's going around and around and around. They can't get off of it. And adults experience this as well. How do you get off of it? I think we need pillars, and God places those to get us off of the cyclone, and one of those is gra gratitude or gratefulness. Another of them is compassion. He tries to get him to recognize his compassion with the plant, and then he challenges him to see that God has a bigger plan than you. God has a bigger plan than you. That, that's really interesting because we start seeing that something is wrong. We might want to ask a bigger question. What else is God doing here? Maybe that person is hurting in some way. Maybe I can come along and encourage them instead of just pointing out their, their weaknesses or, or whatever. This is the person who can think bigger about the plan, and this will draw us outside of the cyclonic thinking that's going on inside of us. Well, that's how God is helping Jonah. Let's just ask the question, if you find yourself with this inkling that you might be in a negative construct and you want to make a change in your own heart, I think we can do that. I think you can do that with God's grace by going through the four problems that we've seen in uh, Jonah so far. I want to take you back through them and, and see every one of those problems result in a solution. And if we'll work on the solutions, we can dismantle the negative construct in our own hearts. Let's look at ourselves for a moment, because I do, I do think, let's go backwards um, through the, the four lessons that we've learned. One thing is we can do a better job of recognizing and controlling anger. So if you see yourself being quick to anger, then you want to start practicing not being quick to anger, that you ask God for understanding and good sense and all those things in Proverbs so that you can get outside of, of the uh, anger construct that exists. Last week, we talked about this empathy and compassion. And so I think if we practice the empathy and compassion, we start to think about other people in other kinds of ways. It starts to break down and dismantle the negative construct. We, if we can value correction, remember Jonah didn't value the storm enough. The, the sailors who were rebuking him didn't do that. So God had to send this big fish. But if we could be the person who are sensitive to, to correction, then we can dismantle the construct. Why? Because often it's the other people who can see our negative thinking before we can. It's blind spots to us. But sometimes when a person corrects us, we even if they correct us in a way that we don't appreciate, sometimes we can ask the question, is this really something I need to be working on? And we value correction, and it actually attacks the construct, and we're able to dismantle it. And then 
In our first lesson, we learned to do what we need to do even though we don't feel like it or we don't want to. And sometimes we just need to do that in order to dismantle the construct. We need to learn how to forgive. We need to practice that. We need to be kind. We need to show gratitude. I think those are solutions. They're right in the passage that, that God can use in our lives in order to bring us to a, uh, a place of change. So he ends this passage with a mirror. That's what I think this is. I think he's basically saying, look, Jonah wasn't able to change. At least we don't know if he was at this point. But that's really not the issue. The issue is when we're faced with God and what he wants to do, can we change? There are some people who look at the negative construct that people have and they say, that person can't change. There are some psychologists who say a narcissist can't change. Again, I'm not saying Jonah's a narcissist, nor are you. I'm not saying that. Uh, all I'm saying is there's some people who say it's become so fixed it can't change. But I believe in a God who can change someone at any age, change any problem in their lives. And here's how it works. The gospel message comes in contact with a dangerous construct, and when they collide, the gospel changes a person. And here's why. The first thing you know about the gospel is that you are a valuable person. Yes, it, it uh, helps you see how important you are, but it also shows you that other people are valuable too. And so it gets you thinking, wow, I need to value other people. I need to be kind to them. I need to be thinking about other people as valuable, not just thinking about myself as valuable. But then we come to this very important part of the gospel message. The part that many people can't receive, and this is why they don't become Christians, is because they have to admit that they're sinners. I was sharing Christ with a man this week. It was fascinating because uh, he said, are you a born-againer? I said, yeah, I am. He says, well, I love talking to you born-againers. I said, okay. He says, I don't need to be born again because I'm already born. See, I don't need to be born again. I said, oh, okay. And he says, is that okay? I said, no, it's not okay. That's, that's the wrong thinking. He says, why? I said, well, I said, and I took Denny's words from our Sunday night the other day. I said, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, on what basis would you get into heaven, what would your answer be? And uh, it sounds like what you're saying is I've done all of these good things. And he says, yeah, well, that's probably true. I says, well, wrong answer, I said to him. He says, well, so what's the right answer? I mean, this guy's leading me through the process of leading him to Christ. And I said to him, you really need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the issue. It's not the good works are going to get you into heaven. It's the trusting Jesus Christ. Oh, he says, I've already done that. But I think it's like this big box. And he holds up a box of toilet paper. And he says, it's like this box. And uh, faith is in there, but so is all the good works. And I said, no, no. It's only faith that you have to rely on. The good works will come. I mean, Christians are, are good people. They're trying to do good things, but it, it's your faith that you have to rely on. Well, he's not to the place yet where his construct is being changed, but I invited him to listen to sermons. Maybe he's listening today. His name's Tom. And so uh, his wife's a believer, and he says he, he knows a lot of born-againers. I'm saying, well, God's probably doing something in your life. But do you see what happens when the gospel touches a person, 
It has to break down the construct because many times we believe that we're right. Oh, we've got life all figured out. But the reality is when the gospel comes into a person's life, it breaks down the construct. And so it breaks it down so much that we humbly say, I am a sinner. I need Christ in my life. And you know what God does with the construct then? He rebuilds it. He calls that process sanctification. And that's why we come to God's Word on a regular basis. We open it up. We study it. We try to understand it. So every day we're getting feedback from the Lord, and we're building this construct that's much more powerful, much more godly, much more Christian, much more biblical, because we're adding all of these things, and it's changing us on the inside. Can anybody change? Yes. If they're willing to face the gospel, and the gospel changes them, their hearts can be changed, and, well, I could open up the floor, and we'd all have testimonies how, how God has changed us in our lives. The gospel is powerful, but we must continually be going back and asking the question, Lord, is there something... Well, let's look at what the psalmist says. Let's just read this, because I think this is our prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That is what I think Jonah needed. That is what I need in my life. And I think that as we understand that idea and we come then to the Lord, we recognize the power of the cross and what it does for us. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads. And we're going to prepare for the Lord's table right now. And as we do, just take a moment and ask God to reveal to you anything that needs to be changed or addressed. The Holy Spirit does this convicting work in our hearts. Let's just pause for a moment and allow God to do that work. Lord, we are sinners and... Uh, Sometimes we're flooded by the mistakes, the sins that we've committed, and Lord, we're so grateful for your forgiveness. Lord, we're humbled before you by our sin and our sin nature, so much so that we cry out for a Savior, and Lord, as we celebrate this table, we do so because we're so grateful for you, that you had compassion on us and sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Lord, we need that. We're grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.